Good evening, gentlemen. Hello there. Yo, what up? How are we feeling tonight? Happy Memorial Day to ye. Happy Memorial Day, indeed. Mm, Memorial Day. Mm -hmm. Or happy Thursday. Oh, right. Thursday. Yes, Mm -hmm. happy Thursday after Memorial Day. Right, right. Good to hear you guys' voices. It feels like it's been a year, but it's only really been a week. Um, Craig, where do you find yourself on uh, this year Decoration Day? I'm in Kansas City. I just did a... uh, Yep, did a show with the Resilient. Actually, two shows, but the main one was uh, the celebration at the station, which is a uh, a big Memorial Day event um, at Union Station in Kansas City. And, nice. Uh, it was lovely. We had amazing weather, a huge turnout, and we performed with the Kansas City Symphonies, which we like. So we rehearsed with them throughout the week. It was really fun and uh, wow, a great experience. So. Yeah, I'm just I'm really fried now. <laughs> yeah, dude, <laughs> just yeah. coming off of that. Yeah, so. Oh man. But yeah, great time in Kansas City. Um, got to see Les Claypool's Flying Frog Brigade with our friend Harry. Yeah, uh, Harry. How was that? Yeah, it was great. He introduced me to his uh, bandmate Sean Lennon, uh, who I got to oh, meet and jam Sean with Lennon. a little bit. Yeah. Um, so really, I mean, yeah, oh, I, it was geez. it was and. Um, Les uh, just absolutely destroys, man. He's just, he sounds so good. <laughs> that bass tone. I, like, I couldn't, I was, I was thinking about it the whole next day. <laughs> just his bass mm. tone. Man. <laughs> so, so good. It really was. So they played all of Pink Floyd's Animals. Oh, within the show? Within the show, yeah. Harry nice. actually sang all the Roger parts and wow. sounded exactly like his old man. It was great. Mm. Um, it was cool to see. And uh, just a great band. So if you see, if you see them touring, um, definitely, I would recommend you go. Excellent. They're playing a Check bunch of dates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. How about you guys? Did you guys uh, get, get a good barbecue in, or uh, what's up? What you guys do? Man. Oh. I don't know, Nick. You want to go first? I um yeah. It was a relatively. I mean, it was a busy weekend, but I mean, I didn't I didn't meet John and Yoko's son, um, <laughs> so I don't. Played some Zelda. <laughs> Sweet. I hear a lot of people have been doing that. Yeah, yeah. It's a hell of a game. Uh, no, it was a great weekend with the boys. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to excited to get this episode kicked off. How about you, Jay? What was What's going on? Oh, your description of my weekend, or your description of your weekend matches mine perfectly. Also oh, okay. did not meet John Lennon and Yoko Ono's son. No? Okay. And played a lot of Zelda. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Cut down a tree in the backyard. Ooh. Didn't kill myself in the process. That was good. It was a win. Yep. Trimmed a lot of trimmed a lot of hedges. Did a lot of Hedge yard trimming. work. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah. Do you bag that? A, do you brown bag it? No, nah, I throw you, it in. Do you have? I throw it in have, the back. Yard like, <laughs> yard pickup. Is that a service that's offered? I do, there? but I'm too okay. lazy to put it in little paper bags. Mm. So instead, I carry it all to mm. the back back corner of my yard which Ben has now dubbed the monster pit because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just this like den of sticks and rotting right. leaves and stuff sure. where of course the monsters live. Yeah. You just call it compost. Oh boy. That's right. Yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I'm doing yeah. something for nature. It's, I'm <laughs> composting. I'm not, you know, I'm not sending it to the landfill. Right. So mm-hmm. no, it was a great weekend. I, I cool. for whatever reason, three day weekends, take it out of me and I'm, freaking exhausted but i know i have had a lot of fun this weekend listening to billy cobham oh yeah Ooh, yeah, yeah what you do, what, do oh yeah oh was i supposed to do that yeah I mean, it's, it's, oh boy <sighs> okay you're gonna you're just gonna talk about mahavishnu anyway so it's it's fine oh well um well yeah what we just just riff on mahavishnu for you know, 45 minutes. We're nah, I'm kidding. I, I kid. I've been listening to the oh, record. Okay. Don't worry. Why don't wait? Why, why, you know what? Let's set the mood here. Oh. We get that. Actually, yeah. Let, let's get the show started. Let's do it. All right. Yes, that's right. You are tuned into. You should check it out. Meeting the offspring of rock stars. Since, well, Greg's been doing it for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. But um, 
Nick, you and I were kind of late comers to that scene. We, I'm, we had but, Harry on. That was fun. That's hey, true. look, that's yeah. just, I'm just I'm just out here making friends. <laughs> yes, you are, and teaching them jazz network shapes. Yeah. And guitar. I'm networking. <laughs> yeah. Happy to be here with you. You are tuned into You Should Check It Out. And this, folks, this is episode 199. Mm-hmm. You're kidding Coming me. at you on... I'm not. <laughs> Greg, I'm serious. You I, are... I no. No, no. I did the math. And it's this is our 199th episode, which means that we've done 198 episodes before this. This is some That's kind of joke. No. No joke. No joke. I'm right here with you. All right. We're all going to hold hands and enjoy this moment right. together. This is episode 199 coming at you on a glorious Thursday, mm-hmm. wherever you are in your part of the world. Happy Last to be here Last day of May, you. right? Last day of May. 29, First day of June. First day of June. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Happy to be here with you. My name is Jay. I'm Nick. And I'm Greg. And we have an awesome show for you today. This is the last of our trilogy our Mm -hmm. uh, original You Should Check It Out trilogy, where we are going back and exploring albums. We're trying to turn each other on to albums that uh, we think the other three, and by extension, all of you in the listener sphere should be listening to. Right. And last week, I tried to turn you all on to David Bowie's Low. Mm -hmm. We had an interesting discussion. It was a great I think, discussion. I think, I think you guys got your little claws into it, and it, or it got, got its claws into you. Mm-hmm. And, it's definitely uh, a record that should be checked out. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just one of those that I, it's going to take some time. That's yeah. a, that, you know, and that's good. Yeah. So this week, it is with great pleasure that I turn the microphone over to our buddy Nick Klein. Mm-hmm. I got choice for this week. Well, you, yeah, you take it off. I'm going to. Sh- Thank I'm you. Shut I got. Up I got final. I got final draw. That'd be great uh, for the for the. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just kidding. Someone has to intro the show, Greg. <laughs> oh, this is when it all broke down. One ninety nine. One ninety nine. Yep. So close. So I, uh, I, I even the moment that I said this album, I was like, this is um, um this is an ambitious pick, uh, for, to justify because you guys. Did such a good job, um, both of you, with with setting up not only we did, we really I did. I know, yeah, absolutely, obviously. So which is all to say, just take it easy on me, guys. Come on, please. <laughs> all right. Um, no, just kidding. So, so it was honestly, it was it was while listening to uh, to Thrust to Greg's pick um, that an album that I had really been into uh, for probably the last I don't know, let's say six months. That may be generous. It may be shorter than that, but. It was an album uh, by a Mr. Billy Cobham uh, from 1974 called Total Eclipse. Um, mm-hmm. Bill, Billy Cobham is, he came up, um, he's, he's a uh, Panamanian American, um, and his first claim to fame was playing with Miles um, um, on Bitches Brew, and then, and then he went and joined Mahavishnu Orchestra. Um, I'm not going to go too far and deep into his history. I actually read this awesome book called Six Days at Ronnie Scott's, um, mm. which is fascinating beautiful book uh, but it really started for me it started to crystallize how much of an influence this guy is on so many drummers um, right uh, not, not even just cited but like there are so many it, the drummers that he influenced have influenced so many drummers that um, right that I really just I wanted to do a deep dive into this guy I wanted to highlight him as a his, as a drummer um, uh, and 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 as a composer so I picked this album because Following his 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 uh, his playing with Mahavishnu, he basically came out with uh, he hit the ground running uh, with an incredible album called Spectrum, um, mm-hmm. that that really flew through the charts. It is still regarded as like his best uh, by by critics. And then uh, and then he had a follow up album uh, called Crosswinds, which is also uh, an acclaimed album. And then it's, this is his third album, Total Eclipse. And this album gets gets no attention. Like none, <laughs> um, and I, and I did know that when I picked it, but um, but it's actually fascinating how little I could find, like historically about, yeah. about this particular record. Um, but nevertheless, I stand strong by my pick. Um, I feel like this one is a, uh, I feel like this one's an important album and and one that hopefully, um, I don't know, stands out in different ways for other for other artists going forward. 
I think what would be cool at this point, uh, because because the thing about Billy Cobham is is his energy and his dynamic um, range of uh, of chops that he can play. He started playing at the age of seven, and even as like a little kid would would actually experiment with the layout of his drums um, to the point where where he, he was actually he would practice for a few months with a left hand lead and mm-hmm. switch over and practice like switch his whole set around and then practice with the right hand lead. When you um, say a left hand lead versus a right hand re- lead, what do you mean? What? So basically, he's playing the hi hat uh, or the ride cymbal, leading uh, with his with his right hand normally because he's right handed. Uh, but he would practice also doing that with his left hand, so he would be crossing over with his left hand. Gotcha. He's also a very um, an, an early adopter uh, because he was he did uh, drum corps uh, in his in his uh, early early teens, late or early twenties. He played match grip, which was also kind of it was kind of a no no as far as like drum instruction was concerned and like proper technique at the time, uh, and really popularized that as like an acceptable way to to play any form of, of drums, or, or any genre of music on drums. There, is a, there was a particular clip that, that I had from, from Mahavishnu that I thought would be a cool way to start it. But I'm actually gonna read, uh, I'm actually gonna read a little bit, a little cl- uh, thing that he said in, in this book, uh, Six Days at Ronnie Scott's, because to me this is kind of like the theme that comes through uh, the way this guy has worked his entire life. And he says, the foundation of how I perform is, is I try to enhance whatever positive elements other musicians bring to the table. That's why my Art of the Rhythm section school is about interpreting what your colleague presents, with, presents you with. This is how I feel about what you're feeling. The frequencies are in harmony with, harmony with everything that you do, and that is what makes music meaningful. Nice. So he's always seen himself as basically actively listening to the other uh, musicians that he's playing and, and re- reacting. Um, and, and because of the amount of time and effort that he spends practicing uh, throughout actually his entire career, he is so adept and proficient that I, the thing that I would like to kind of highlight is, is that to me, Billy Cobham's version of like a particular beat is kind of, it's kind of like a penultimate. It's like, here's, here's all the things that you could do within the range of like a song like this. Um, and, and then you can go and see all the seeds of, of how that's affected all these other drummers um, that have that have followed since then. So uh, uh, that's it's a bit it's a bit of a random uh, blab at the beginning, but no. But I think we... that's like really that's I think that's super important. It's something that's yeah. thrown around a lot, but is not embraced by a lot of musicians. Greg, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Like people mm-hmm. who say like the most important thing about playing with other musicians is listening to other musicians. But well, sure, it's. You know, it's being an active collaborator. It's not just listening. It's it's listening and reacting, and yeah, reacting in a positive right. way to what the other people are throwing down. Well, it's, I think it's also just it's important not to just listen to yourself. You know, which well, is yeah. what you know, which but that but which sounds obvious maybe to to people like you know like you guys who have experience at that, but it might not be that obvious to someone who's starting out or like someone who's because you are focused on yourself. But it's like you have to get so comfortable with your instrument that you can also kind of take in other information in real time, especially right. if you're playing an improv uh, I- I setting mm-hmm. so right. that you can sort of, you know, you're playing your instrument um, the same way that you're brushing your teeth. You, you, <laughs> yeah. just, you, you just don't, you don't even think about it. You're just no, doing I mean, it. He, he has a quote about like, there's no language that I speak better and would prefer speaking than drum. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. a form of communication and he can right. communicate that way. Um, yeah. So, I gotta say, we haven't heard any of this record yet. I'm getting itchy. Are you? Yeah. Well, because I also I don't know if if, if for our listeners, if we if haven't our, listened our, to it. If our listen, no, I mean I have listened <laughs> to it. I, but for our listeners out there who maybe have never heard Billy Cobham, maybe they should hear him play some drums at some point. I think that's right. I think that's right. I think I think where we need to start this is is where the album starts. Okay. okay. I think the intro to the album. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and give this a, a, a spin. This is solarization.
strong intro. That's a strong Pretty wild. Intro. Pretty wild. Yeah. I think the thing, I think out of the gate, you hear a lot of early progressive um, uh, influence, a lot of progressive rock influence yeah. in, 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 this, in this album in particular. Oh, yeah. Um, and the thing that was fascinating to me, uh, also pertaining to this particular song, was the number of really heavy drummers that he influenced. I had absolutely no idea how many, how many like real, real heavy. Uh, I, I mean, Portnoy has, has listed him as a as a major influence, um, but also uh, John Theodore from from. Well, he's not that that heavy. Mars Volta and Queens of the Stone Age. Matt uh, Garska. Garstka. Oh yeah, Garska. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Animals as leaders. Which I actually went back and listened to some of that today, um, and I was like, "Yeah, I can totally hear that." Mm-hmm. Uh, just the just the precision, the precision, uh, which is kind of it's become its own its own vein, right? Of heavy of heavy right. music, right? And uh, that's a uh, that that song. I mean, you talk about the influence on progressive rock. I mean, that song is not called just solarization, or or that's the main title, but then it's yeah, like broken up yeah. into like five movements, right? Yes. Yeah. And I actually wanted to uh, while we're on this song. I wanted to highlight. I won't be doing this for every song. It's just, it's, no, no, no. It's for this no one I appreciate. In particular. It. I appreciate it. I appreciate um, it. But the first movement. Did you try to? Did you pick up that time signature, Nick? Seven eight. It's seven eight, but I think it alternates seven eight and then like kind of like a six and a half over eight. There's something <laughs> weird going on, isn't there? That, that's what it is. So I'm <laughs> thinking it's it's technically like seven eight and then thirteen sixteen, mm-hmm. alternating. Because okay. he's like, and I wanted to highlight this because. He does the similar thing on this song, Vital Transformation by Mahavishnu mm-hmm. Orchestra. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'll show you what I mean. Like, this song, it's, like, basically a 4-4 four, four, and then, like, a one little extra eighth note at the end. You'll, you'll see what I'm saying. And I'll, I'll count it out and, and make sure what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to say is correct. But he likes to add a little extra at the end of the, me- of the measure as opposed to subtract, you, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, anyway, let, let's listen to this song, Vital Transformation. This is a classic Billy Cobham groove. Hit it. So yeah, you basically it's it's nine eight, but it's not it's it's not grouped in threes. It's basically like a four four with like an extra mm-hmm. little hiccup. And so anyway, yep. I, f- I found that that was that seemed to be what he was doing here, but on a deeper level. Um, right. Right. And then the other thing I wanted to point out about this song is like when it gets to the second movement, mm-hmm. it actually breaks down into like this kind of like atonal free, yeah, uh, piano bit. And I heard a quote yeah. in there. Does anybody know what I'm going to say? I do hmm. not. I do not. P- play, play, play the, uh, play the, the clip that uh, it's like right before four minutes. The one I have marked solarization, Greg clip. Yeah, perhaps that's the one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's already played it twice. Keeps playing it. Mm-hmm. Does anybody recognize that? It's a. It's it. That is from. Uh, we, we can. He, he just played it again. Uh, it's the Rite of Spring. Oh, Stravinsky. Oh wow. He's, he's, he's playing yeah. Rite of Spring all over that. And I think. Yeah. That's really cool. That's that's Milko Lviv. Oh, the uh, pianist. This, yeah, and this is the only album that he collaborated that he has on on um, that he plays that he hasn't played with on. But man, it really does change the the, the tone uh, whenever he's whenever he's on when he's featured prominently on the tracks. The other interesting thing about this album was, given that quote that I said, I've also listened to some some interviews with him, and it, it seems like as, as his first few albums, especially the first four albums that he put out, 
um, he was really struggling with, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what John McLaughlin's reputation is, um, but it sounds like he was a bit of, of, of the egotistical controlling guitarist, um, a little bit, maybe. <laughs> what um, are you talking about? That's a thing? Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> the, not, not a thing, just, just who he is. And that for Billy Cobham, this, all of these songs are written by him, right? So he scored, um, he, he's brought in some, some people that he played with uh, in different settings. And one thing that was really frustrating for him was those, those musicians putting their own spin on the stuff that he'd written. Um, really? And, and, and he describes it as like kind of the struggle that he let go of. So, so the other thing that this album kind of is for me is, is it's, it's almost a, uh, it's like the height of, of Billy Cobham's ambitions uh, as a composer and, and, and drummer. Because the, the thing that gets me so freaking excited whenever I listen to this album, and this album is absolutely like a, an energy drink for me, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it is he is so on top of the melody. Like he's yeah. so leading it and driving it and, and, and especially coming out of the gate on every song whenever, whenever the head is presented or at least the, the, the initial first theme because some of them have multiple themes. He, he is so driving that rhythm to the point where, to, to your point, Greg, I, I don't, I, I, it's written in 7-8 because I, I, I went through the score. Uh, so I don't know if he, is it actually dropping into thirteen sixteen? Is that? I mean, it's definitely. It, if I if you'd really try counting in in seven, you'll keep you'll you'll be late every other time. Wow, okay. that's how it feels. Right. You know, but oh, um, what, what, is it like an official transcription, or like uh, I, I, don't know, I, I don't know what you're looking I at? I didn't I, I didn't buy them, but I pulled up like his the, the sheet music from the. From from I think it was his site. Um, oh, okay, it's possible but, that but, he he just like pushes it, you know. But it's that's, almost that's, that's what yeah. I mean. It, it feels like it really feels like he's pushing it, and he does that on a couple different tracks on this album. Right, um, where it's really he's so on top of the on, so in front of the beat that everybody's kind of like like just yeah just just playing it's like, just playing. I mean, it, yeah. it all hits right. It's tight as can be, but it's so yeah. He's playing so in front of the beat. Yeah, so. Solarization is this ten-minute opus that it kicks off with, um, and then, and then, and then the album kind of drops into the whole. The whole thing is themed on the space theme, right? Total Eclipse. First track is Solarization. Our next track uh, is is Lunar Pusions. Lunar Pusions. Um, and uh, and I absolutely love this groove that he that he that he kicks off with. Yeah, man. Well, I can tell you, I was pleasantly surprised when I looked at the lineup and saw that it was the Brecker Brothers yeah. the horn section on this. I was like, oh, that's going to be a fun listen because I can always <laughs> yeah. listen to those guys. They're fantastic. Yep. yep, Michael and Randy Brecker and, uh, and Glenn Ferris playing uh, tenor and bass trombones. It's so tight. Yeah, the, the, I, I, I was unable to find like, the story behind the recording of this album. Uh, unfortunately, but I know that the majority of the the, the tracks uh, from from an interview that I that I heard with him, um, they kind of they came in, they rehearsed it the day before, they came in, just hit it, just 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 knocked them out one one after the other. Um, it is it, it's interesting to me because I don't, you know, I don't listen to drums in the same way that obviously a drummer does, 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, like hearing you say he's leading, like he knows the melody so well that he's leading the melody. And, yeah. and you can definitely hear that on that song. You know, he's accenting every single part of the melody. Yeah. Well, and I, he wants to be accented. Yeah, and the beat comes in before the melody that accompanies that beat. Like that, that beat perfectly complements the melody that ends up right. It, the coming beat, up. The, the beat is the melody. Yeah, I mean, it's probably it's probably how he wrote it from, that's from what I'm saying. the beat. Yeah, is yeah. that what you mean? Yeah. That's typical. But, that's, that, that's that drummer comp- composer thing, you know? Is that, <laughs> sure. Which, sure. Which uh, I'll I'll make another remark on it later, like when we're wrapping up. But there's something about music that drummers compose. I hate to always do this, uh, but um, but honestly, it's 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 how Zappa wrote too, right? Because he was he was kind of a percussionist, um, or mm-hmm. he considered himself like definitely he hear a lot of percussion. Zappa. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like no goodness. doubt. No yeah. doubt. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and actually, um, I think following this album is when he starts collaborating with George Duke, uh, and that's uh, basically the next four or five years uh, of go. his career in that the seventies. He kind of wraps the seventies up just just doing stuff with George Duke. Yeah, but I mean, uh, some other drummers that I that I could hear kind of in this song, or like Stuart Copeland, who's who's massively um, or or cites uh, Cobham as uh, somebody that he would he would pick like eight bars of, of of a piece and just absolutely memorize it, like internalize his sticking and internalize like how he was hitting the drum um, because it's it's so freaking masterful. Even the sounds he gets out of his drums are just, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely incredible. It's a very modern drum sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another, yeah, it goes without saying, but Carter Beaufort obviously is another yeah. uh, drummer that that borrows heavily from from Cobham's tricks. The yeah, so Lunapucians kind of has that like that funky feel, um, which I think most of this album does. Um, yeah, but the 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 track that comes up after this. Probably has the most dynamic range, and that that is the title track, Total Eclipse. The opening to this is 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 quite lovely, and and I absolutely love how he caresses. I, like I can't think of a better word than he just caresses the rhythm of that melody uh, when it when 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 this the, this first time around. So let's listen to the let's listen to the the top of uh, Total Eclipse. Stuff, man. Freaking love that. Freaking love that. So, yeah, yeah, all all over. Uh, just such a such a groove, but all of the beats seem to like catch a little sooner than you would feel. Like that's a that is a hard thing. That's hard to play with uh, really? as a drummer. Really? Yes, those hits are just just because because he'll do like a uh, three beats of a of a sixteenth note, like roll right. Mm-hmm. Just ba 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 ba. He's just he's just catching it right right before, like the downbeat would hit, but the band is right there with him. Um, so it's it's almost written to his fills at, at, in this case. Uh, wow. And and this the one word I've seen attached to this, which I, I don't I don't agree with, but I, I could understand I guess to, to some listeners, is um, that his playing at times might be gratuitous. Um, <laughs> um, I, like again, I, I don't I don't find that to be the case, but uh, this song in particular. It goes from where we just started um, to where where it ends up, which which is well involves China cymbal and double bass drums. So let's, <laughs> let's just go ahead and let's hear what the end by the end of it what 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 it's, what it sounds like.
Mm. Man, they still hadn't they still hadn't gotten the like bass drum miking to where it got, <laughs> where it has that that what we know like that thwap you know that like the yeah. top end yeah, click yeah, sound. Yeah. Um, I, I don't miss it, but it really it gets muddied. Uh, it, it gets muddied in, in in the recording there. Is this a, an okay time to jump in with like the fact that I have never heard of this guitar player before, John Abercrombie? That's Greg, not, you know yeah, um, not particularly well. He plays on a couple, right? He's kind of known as a uh, modern jazz, you know, contemporary. He, I believe he's passed away. Um, yeah. But he's kind of in that, there's a few guys like him, like, like Larry Coriel, maybe even Larry Carlton. Um, some some of these like session modern jazz guys. John yeah. Abercrombie is definitely featured on a lot of like ECM yeah, stuff yeah, I saw in that. the 70s uh, and 80s. Um, and I have, I like, for instance, an album of Jack DeJanet's, I think, that he is on. Anyway, mm-hmm. it sounds like drummers hired him. It's funny, yeah, like, yeah. It, in, 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 the, in, the, in these jazz scenes, you have definitely, um, I mean, this goes beyond just jazz scenes, but, like, in the instrumentalists scene, anytime you have, like, a guitar player who's, like, a, like an, a leader of an instrumental group, um, sometimes you'll see them hire a drummer that is also being hired by other guitar players that are, you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. some yeah. guys are just like the right call for an instrumental guitar album. Yeah. Or in this yeah. case, an instrumental drum-led album called Abercrombie or whatever, you know. Because obviously they're reading. That's a big That's a big thing in, in this point. They're, they're reading charts really sure. efficiently. Sure. And so that might have, you know, but he said he. I thought he sounds great on this record. Actually, this he might does. be my favorite. absolutely. This is my yeah. my favorite recording of John John Abercrombie's that I've heard so far. I mean, it's it's, it's amazing. 15. I like. I heard it. And this guy sounds like John McLaughlin and Jeff Beck in the same exactly. album. Exactly. And I've I, never I, I, heard I, of this guy. Like, yeah, <laughs> I wrote down Jeff Beck uh, yeah. in my notes uh, for a later tune. But yeah, yeah, definitely guys yeah, that the, McLaughlin esque, and definitely a lot of Jeff Beck. The uh, it's funny. The, the one user review on um i think it's all music or all jazz or something like that actually makes note of that that uh that he really beefs up his sound on this particular record um perhaps perhaps because he was stung by the comparisons to tommy bolin on his work on crosswinds uh but 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 that that this this effort was fiery and focused (laughs) and it really does it really is a lot more aggressive sounding than 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 those other albums that i've also listened to and enjoyed but but nothing compared to this one gotcha um yeah, so uh, so, total eclipse uh, leads into a, a really interesting. Coben uh, was actually a really really early adopter of electronic drums. The first set, I think it was sixty nine or seventy seventy, uh, he actually had on stage and, and used, uh, and and then I think included in some practices for early Mahavishnu that never made. I'm not I'm not certain, but. Bandits is the is track four on this record, and it it comes in with, I mean, it sounds like a Casio uh, 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 drum track um, that they just donkey around with. But I, I, I like this one, and I really I don't know I, I don't know a ton about Alex Blake, uh, the bassist on this record, um, but I, I thoroughly enjoy the. It basically sounds like a jam uh, between the the bassist and and and, and Cobham on this one. Yeah. Uh, but this is this is Bandits. Let's give this one a listen. funny i i and this is in no way a slight on any of the musicians on this album because they're all god level they're incredible musicians no go ahead but it just sounds like it's like the first time these guys have ever tried to jam along with a a, like an electronic (laughs) drum attack do you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. they're all kind of just plugged into the board like it's just like a direct like hey look come on let's just like just just knock this thing out like a lark 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But they're all kind of not with it, but they're mm-hmm. they're good enough to stay with it. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, it's, yeah, kind it's, of a, sl- it's I, a little I sloppy. Definitely hear that. Yeah, no, I was actually curious because um, at times it sounds sloppy. That's uh, what I mean. Is it? I, it just yeah, sounds like yeah. they're just a little bit. They're they're having trouble keeping up with that tempo. That's all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is another pretty short song, but I I don't know. I'm sure there's other examples of this beat, but for '74, he goes full on disco at about a minute thirty. Um, <laughs> uh, but just yeah, pick that up. There was a there's an interesting interview with Kenny Aronoff, uh, who was like, I don't know, the, like the what's what's the bassist name? Nate Nate West Nathan, Nathan East. East Nathan East Nathan, oh, Nathan East Yes Yeah Yeah To me, which which we, we used to joke in I think it was at College Park Jay because he would be he was just like always the bassist on everything. Um, if it was well, something. he was part of our happiest group ever. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Our, it was we a, had this group, of, we had this like subsection of session musicians who were always smiling. Anytime you saw them live, yeah. they're always just having the best time of their lives. Yeah. And it was Kenny Aronoff on drums. Yeah, thank you. Nathan East on bass. Uh-huh. G.E. Smith, of course, on guitar. Naturally. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I think that's all oh, we man. had. But <laughs> just the guys that are always like, just, yes! Yeah! yeah. yeah. How about that? Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> yeah. Oh, you see that one coming? No. <laughs> Yeah, so so our happy uh, happiest drummer ever, Kenny Arnoff. Um, uh, <laughs> happiest he, drummer ever. <laughs> yeah, he, for whatever reason, the Bandits. This song for him was like an early um, one that he studied and would practice because of the the range of uh, every one of these songs within within the context of like the section that is the theme. Cobham would introduce completely different ways of approaching dr- like a like a drum part to the said melody that he wrote. Which is another cool thing as a drummer uh, to to listen to, just the range of, of of beats that he can come up with for any given uh, any given melody. So yeah, so Bandits is actually a pretty quick one, um, but the next one, Moon Germs, I think is is become a relatively pretty big a, a big staple for uh, for Cobham on his on his tour, and definitely one that I could find other artists playing. Yeah, none of which I felt like was necessary to highlight for, for this episode, but. <laughs> But it's a it's a staple of his repertoire, and uh, it's it's very funky, big dense arrangements with with uh, some really tight horns, uh, and I really like uh, John Abercrombie and Michael Brecker's kind of back and forth. Oh, they're great. Uh, on, great on this, on this song yeah. in particular. Uh, so um, why don't we get why don't we give this a quick listen? Michael Brecker is such a badass. <laughs> yeah, right? he, yeah, he came to University of Maryland, I think uh, 2001 or two. 
and um, he did a uh, concert and a master class, and he was he was something else, man. He was just yeah. incredible. One of my favorites, and um, that's why when I saw, it, I was like, "Oh, the Brecker Brothers are on this. That's cool. You know, that's yeah. gonna be it'll be, be a good listen." Yeah, and Randy was very impressive on that second track. He takes a trumpet solo on lunar um, <clears throat> pop, lunar pushins, yeah, lunar pushins, and his trumpet solo is crazy on that. I mean, you know, just while we're talking about them, we don't have to go back, but um, no, honestly, yeah, the, uh, there was players. the whole band. The whole band uh, is is pretty pivotal. Again, especially when you go and listen to to some of his other his other albums. Um, uh, th- this one in particular was just. Just a unique collection of, of of artists. So yeah, but Moonjerms is uh, definitely one that's cited as 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 one that's come out of this of this album as one one of his standards. Um, another big name drummer that was influenced by Billy Cobham um, is Dennis Chambers. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was an interesting interview, and I think I think we might have a piece of audio from it. But th- this is actually to me, this is also kind of like another point. There's. I know for for a fact uh, that in the um, Neil Peart drum uh, video that he did called A Work in Progress, yeah. which he did as part of his, when he completely revamped his drum style and um, and this is all leading up to Test for Echo, a Rush album that came out in, I think, 98. Uh, and he put out the series. And he brings up Billy Cobham at least three or four times um, in, in decisions that he made about particular places where he put things on the drum set just because... Billy's such a considerate about all, all of those aspects, but he's not. Billy Cobham is is not listed in a lot of these drummers as like top influences. You really have to kind of dig in, uh, and you hear it. Uh, but there's there's this clip that that uh, from an interview with Dennis Chambers I, I, I wanted to play. And this is about two and a half minutes in. The question that was presented to Dennis Chambers was, "Who are your biggest influences?" Uh, and about two minutes and thirty seconds into that question. This is where this is what this is what pops up. Good nip. Did I mention Billy Cobble? Not yet. Oh yeah, Billy Cobble. Yeah. <laughs> Can't miss him. I mean, because you know, with him, you know, uh, you can tell where all the drummers came out of. You know, especially, you know, I got like all these 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 bootleg tapes on him with the My Vishnu Orchestra, mm-hmm. and then when I do my history, uh, do some homework on you know researching a lot of that earlier stuff, and see what drummers were doing then. And hearing what Billy was doing then, it was it was like two different things, you know. Yeah. And Billy kind of just you know like he um, just brought the whole thing to a whole nother level of playing. And then when I saw him play, I couldn't sleep for twenty four hours. Yeah. <laughs> <And then, laughs> mhm. Leave that. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, Dennis Chambers is a freaking monster. Of oh drummer. yeah. I mean, I mean just. Top yeah, level, um, yeah. Top call, you know. So that's, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he's played with everybody who can pay the biggest paycheck. So we're what? We're five tracks into this album now. At this point, I think there's only one other song that I wanted to highlight from this album, uh, and that is uh, "Sea of Tranquility," which is kind of like the other opus at the at the other end of this album. Um, Ten right? minutes long, right? Yeah, you got you got um, solarization at, at the front, and then this more uh, it's, it's it's a more delicate. Uh, wandering and exploratory, uh, maybe jazzier um, uh, track near the end uh, called Sea of Tranquility. Let's, let's give it a listen and then we can, I'd love to hear what you guys thought about it overall and, and uh, wrap this thing up. Cool. I love the keys on that album, or on that track, actually. Um, rather, the 
Laviv uh, is definitely going to be another artist that I, I try to check out more of his stuff. Yeah, and Sea of Tranquility, and then uh, there is a there is a final track um, called The Last Frontier, which is the aforementioned gratuitous drum gratuitous solo. Gratuitous drum uh, solo. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. That uh, one is quite, Yeah, when, when, when you, were, you were talking before about like, oh, he wants to, he says like, it's really important to listen to uh, the, the, the other musicians. I'm like, except for that drum solo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. But across all of his al- across all of his albums, um, there are many other songs on on his on the other albums that he does, uh, Spectrum and, and Crosswinds. There's a bunch of songs that he has on his other albums where mid song it breaks out into a drum solo. Right. And I actually appreciated that for the most part on this album, it was it was it, he kind of put that all at the end. But I, I really would like to get you guys' thoughts on this um, because. It has been an incredible source of uh, inspiration for me. I realize that I'm a drummer, but I, I just wanted to get, I wanted to hear what you guys thought listening to this album. I just love that you say that, like, I realize I'm just a drummer. <laughs> you say that in a denigrating no, way, like as though it, you're it's not. A, it's, it's, a, it's an <laughs> album by a drummer. Uh, he's written all the songs for his drum parts. Um, so I can see why I like it. Uh, well, I'm I curious think what you guys I, think about it. I definitely think it's more than that. Um, Greg, I know you got a lot more intelligent stuff to say about this so i'll go first (laughs) what to me was really interesting is my first couple listens to it and again this is not denigrating the musicians at all but there's just like the certain like sloppiness imprecision to the way that the musicians are reacting to the drum parts in certain Mm -hmm. songs in certain sections and i kind of i would i had this whole thing written up about like oh well this is probably just it's a it's an artifact of the '70s stuff that you wouldn't hear nowadays because it would get cleaned up in post, like it would get time shifted and get fixed, and so it's really nice and precise. And that's a that's mm-hmm. a different era that we're not that we don't have anymore. But it, after tonight and discussing this, like I think it's more of a Billy Cobham thing, because I, I hear the same thing whenever I listen to Maha Vishnu. Mm-hmm. Like it's like instrumentalist trying to keep up with this damn drummer. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's always kind of like it's just hanging on by like a you know fingernails. Just I love that just, tension. Right, 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 right. To me, it's very. I mean, I love the music. I'm not trying to say that I don't. I, I love the music. It's very ambitious and complex, and but it always just feels like everything's just hanging on, like ready to fall apart. And it's really mm-hmm. interesting in in that way. Um, but no, I think like the you know the compositions are unique. Um, the melodies are great. I really tried to listen to it with a drummer's ear, which I don't have at all. For me, I get halfway through a song, like trying to like really focus on the drum part, and then I, my m- ear gets pulled towards the melody, and mm-hmm. so it's really hard for me to do that. But it was a great exercise to do. Um, I mean, I-, I think as a, as not just a drummer's composition album, I think by any, you know, composer's album, I think it's I think it's an ambitious statement. Um, I think it's I think it's a great album. It's a it's a fun listen. Um, mm-hmm. It does seem like he put a lot of his weight into that first song, that solarization song, and then the rest yeah. of it are kind of like, oh, here's a fun, funky jam track, and it's great mm-hmm. because the musicians are incredible. Yeah, um, but it does seem like most of the focus was on that first track. But no, it's it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a great sound. I I, I really enjoyed it. So cool. I'm, I'm with yeah. you. Yeah. You know, for me, I, I've listened to a lot of music that's like this, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. this kind of fusiony, you know, and um, complex, um, instrumental, improv-y. Um, yeah, you played in funk hard. Well, that's that definitely. You know, I would say that we were kind of we were. It's some in some moments, yes, very fusion. Uh, influenced um, as well as like Afrobeat and like James Brown and you know mm-hmm. and, um, yeah but what he's doing here is very it's it's almost, it's almost like a classical it's not it's like it, it, it peaked at like number six like Billboard Jazz but it's like barely mm-hmm. jazz I mean it, it there's some jazz elements where f- suddenly it's like okay now Michael Brecker's taking a soprano sax solo and stuff but you know it, it I think they just had to call it they had to put it in the jazz category because I don't know what you're supposed to call this stuff. Well, it's Billy Cobham, and he's this like right. this this ha- you know half of Mahavishnu, which is this pioneering jazz fusion 
sound. Right. So I think the, the, the genre stuck to his name. Right. But even that, yes, exactly. But it's, it, it's really because he played on, because uh, those guys uh, played on Bitches Brew. And that's Miles Davis. Mm-hmm. And that's jazz, right? It's like, well, not, not really. Not anymore. Right. You know not what I mean? Like, point. by now, he's not doing jazz, you know, anymore. He's doing, like, improvised He's, he's reacting to, like, the rock revolution of yeah. the 60s. And also, yeah. it's, it's worth noting that Bitches Brew was done almost in a classic. It was improvised, but there was some classical elements to it in the sense that they sat in, like, a half circle with, like, Miles in the middle kind of conducting. Yeah people and miles right. was listening to like almost classical exclusively at that time i think that yeah that like makes sense says, yeah and yeah. so and then you hear you know you hear the um right of spring you're like mm-hmm. okay so what yeah, these guys are like they're not listening to charlie parker anymore right you know so in any case it's i hear this stuff and i'm actually i'm intrigued at how the the, the scope of what he was trying to do the ambition mm-hmm. um i think that you know, it's a little, it's a little grandiose. It's a little um, sure self-indulgent at times, perhaps. Yeah, progressive you know? rock, right? Um, yeah. and, and but it's also, I mean, it's designed to highlight how much of a virtuoso he is. I mean, sometimes the mix on Billy Cobham's drums bugs me because I feel like the toms are too loud sometimes. Like, but that's <laughs> part of his sound. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense because it's, it's like suddenly like the toms are like hey, he just, it's just hitting so hard. <laughs> That's and what it's, it is. it's a cool sound. I don't like. I don't mind it, but it's sometimes it is like you know. I don't know if it was more of an engineering thing or you know just maybe like maybe you should. Well, I don't know. But in, in any case, you know when I hear like like Billy Cobham is you know I put him all, like kind of in the same stratosphere as like a Tony Williams and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But he's he's awesome, man. I, it, it makes sense that he would influence so many drummers because obviously he was just a f- freak of nature. But um, but um, <laughs> but he plays like he's got a rock thing going on. Totally. Like Tony oh, Williams is like is, is similar, but he's actually leaning more into that maybe Buddy Rich kind of style, you know. Whereas Billy Cobham is thinking more like this, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean the I think contemporaries at the time that that he would be in lists alongside would have been like Keith Moon and and, and John Bonham. Um, yeah, uh, both of which actually consulted or, or they met with him or they they, they chatted mm-hmm. specifically about like Bonham was trying to get like an even double bass sound, double bass drum sound. So they were, okay. they were they were comparing like like pedal setups and and actual ways of you know placing your feet. In order to get right. like a consistent sound, and Bill Bruford was a was a big Billy Cobham, yeah. early Billy Billy Cobham um, uh, follower, um, for the same reason, just because he would attack these odd time signatures with such intensity, mm-hmm. uh, and as opposed to you know a very careful, like it's clearly in seven or it's clearly in nine, uh, but but that's because it's being played so specifically and so precisely, Cobham's just just dancing all over it, um, and I think that that word like dancing if you watch him play even even when he's hitting the drum so freaking hard like he is just he is just in the flow uh there is no there is no he's there's no exuberance there's no like stretching or 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 stress to you hear this rushing sound but when you watch him play it it's he's it's as fluid as can be and he knows exactly where he wants it to come back in but he's trying to push everybody around him. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and, and, and that is that kind of that push-pull. I, I would have much rather loved to see this performed, you know, than listen to the album version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because, because I think, I think the live setting was, was where this sounded best and, and kind of where, I see that. where his acclaim really blew up. Um, and the one, another thing about this Six Days at Ronnie Scott's is just, there's just all these anecdotes from all of these different musicians that would say, you know, I heard the record, but but then I saw him, uh, then I saw him play, and, and and saw like how well everybody fit in with each other, and and I think that's that's the thing that takes it to the, that next level, and that's really what he spent the the rest of his career. He still plays, um, he's still playing actively. Uh, he's I think he's at 35 albums at this point, um, and it's just. A project with this particular artist and and they'll go and they'll work together and they'll go and do live performances and then they'll go ahead and track real quick and then go back and do, out and do a tour 
and for, for Billy, the, the recording part of it is it's just the immortalization that it happened um, because the project in that case is, is, is the live music that they're going to produce together. Yeah. So um, just an amazing drummer that seems to, seems to often be the, the one that you forget to mention when you think about your influences, mm-hmm. um, but, but, but kind of central to, to all of these big names and, and all of these, these monsters uh, that have gone on to kind of bring us where we are today. That's amazing, man. Hell yeah. yeah. We did something here, guys, that I think is a reflection of like the three of us What's that? without really meaning to do this. Like these last three episodes, we've done three albums. We could, we all could have picked any albums that we wanted to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Greg picked this funky post-jazz funk album that influenced, you know, his work with the funk arc and a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that he was trying to do. Yes. I the album this, they aspired towards. I picked this bizarre, you know, lyrical fragment avant-garde album that's kind of like a reflection of how I like uh, artists in weird, tumultuous moments in their career. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And Doing exactly the opposite of what you would expect them to do. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and Nick picked a drummer that freaking inspires the hell drummer. out of me. <laughs> 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 that mm-hmm. loves to dance, you know, which is, you know, Nick. So we... we it, with a, inadvertently, we picked albums that kind of are reflections of ourselves in a weird way. What do you know? Hey, no, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> it is. This has been this 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 whole uh, experiment. Yeah, um, I'll tell you. First two first two episodes, we did this experiment. Loved it. This is tough. It's hard, right? It's hard. I'm glad we adapted our. I'm glad we adapted our uh, our format. Um, that's exactly what I was saying. The text message I sent to you guys after we recorded the low episode was like, oh yeah. my God, now I remember why we don't do this anymore. Yeah. That's but like, we're just doing it once. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm still down for bringing it back. Like if any of you guys hear an album in the future that, that really talks to you or you want to talk about it, I am reserving the right for any of us to take an episode if you want to do this mm-hmm. okay. in the future. In the future, yeah, if but you, you got to really in. want to. Right. <laughs> you got to put the work in, right? <laughs> I do. Uh, I think. I think the only one that I didn't mention, as far as drummers that he influenced, um, and I have a clip of of, of this, is uh, is Danny Carey. Oh snap! Oh yeah. That's and tool. I, what what what? Yeah, from yeah, Tools drummer. Uh, well, Green Jelly's drummer, and then, and right, then of tool. course, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, is this Spectrum? What is he playing? Or no, Stratus. No, Stratus. Stratus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is Danny Carey uh, playing Stratus. It's the Doug Webb group. The Doug Webb group featuring Danny Carey. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's give this a listen on the, on the way out. Some vineyard. Danny, yeah, so we got Danny Carey, Neil Peart, uh, Bill Bruford, uh, Carter Beaufort, uh, a lot of heavy drummers that I didn't even mention. Right. Um, yeah, that the, 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 these are the these are the drummers that have been influenced by Billy Cobham, in, including myself. And uh, there you go. Oh man, there you go. That's energy. the last. That's the heavy such hitter you were energy. looking for. There it is. That's well, what well I got, done, boys. sir. Well done. Yeah, oh, man. Thank you. Very thank nice. You. Excellent work. Thank you. Thank you. Well, guys, all that's left at this point. It's for Greg to tell the fine folks how to get in touch with us, should they choose to do so. <laughs> you can find us online at youshouldcheckitout.com. Send us an email at yscipodcast at gmail.com. Look for us on social media. We got Facebook and Instagram. Our Twitter handle is at shouldcheck. 
Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts are heard. Leave a review, and as always, tell a friend, you should check it out. Yes, you should. Thank you very Please much, do. Mr. Greg. And you should check out our next episode, which is episode... Hold on, let me run the numbers here real quick. Mm. Oh, are you calling somebody? Meep, boop, 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 yep. boop, boop. <laughs> 200. Our what? next episode is episode 200. Oh, my God, guys. So. <laughs> well, I'll be looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. We're going to do something. We're going to do something. We'll do we'll something. It it'll be an episode anyway, and it'll be Indeed. next Thursday. Yes. Free, as always. Yep. Indeed. And it'll be the three of us. And yes. uh, life will continue as normal. All right. Beautiful. We Sweet. hope so. All right. Love you guys. Peace. Yeah. Love you too. Love you too. See you. Peace.